Get your Bibles and, and let's uh, jump right back in to Romans chapter 9. Um, let me tell you a little something I'm going to do tonight. Uh, I'm going to take a, a, a small liberty with the text. Um, uh, let, me, let, me, let me read this to you first. Uh, Romans chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to read to you the first five verses. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, guys, we're, we're really taking a look at verses 4 and 5 uh, at the moment. And um, the, the problem is, or not the problem, but um, there is, what Paul is doing is telling you why it is he's so grieved about the condition of Israel. He says, I am so overcome with grief about the condition, condition of Israel. And uh, I would, if I could, I would even take their place. If it would, if it would work, I, I would do it. But it won't work, but uh, I would if I could. And, and the, their, their condition, the situation, is exacerbated by the fact that they're in possession to, of such privileges. And he lists eight such privileges, beginning, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, uh, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, actually, there's nine. According to the flesh, is Christ, who has got a wrong. So what he's saying is, the, the thing that really grieves me so much is these people had so much privilege. They had so much opportunity. They were in possession of all these things. And it did not improve their lot spiritually. Now, here's, here's my point. There's a list of nine things here. Uh, we covered two of them last week. We talked about the word Israelite, and we talked about adoption. The next thing in line here is the glory. And we will talk about that. But I'm going to skip that for the night. I'll come back to it, Lord willing, next week. I want to race over to the term the covenants, because it's going to take all of our time tonight just to talk about that, and I'm not sure we can finish, but we're going to have to. So I didn't want to take any of our time talking about the glory. We'll talk about that next week. I'm just, the liberty I'm taking is I'm taking things out of order. That's all I'm doing. I'm racing to the covenant. I'm, I'm jumping to the covenants so that we can try to have as much time over that term as possible. Okay? Um, now, guys, uh, if, I mean, I had a woman come to me last week, and she said, Listen, I, we spent a whole semester, uh, you know, talking about the covenants in um, precept Bible studies. Guys, this is a huge term. In seminary, you will spend a year, an hour, five days a week, being taught covenantal theology. This is, this is an enormous term, a term of huge significance, and um, we're going to take 35 minutes on it. But we're, I'm going to try to do my best, so you just bear with me. I said last week that the, the Old Testament and New Testament were intertwined, and, and uh, here's an example of it. These, these words here, you're never going to understand these words unless you understand something about the Old Testament. The term covenant. Oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. It's one of those terms that appears in the New Testament, and it appears several times in the New Testament. But you will never understand that term. Never unless you know something about its Old Testament roots. I pled with you last week. I'll plead with you again. Um, guys, the Bible was arranged by the Holy Spirit 
so that you would go through the Old Testament before you got to the New Testament. Do not neglect. I played with you. Do not neglect knowledge of and study of the Old Testament. It is vital. And um, I've already made that point last week. But here's one of those words found in the, of the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. But it is explained in the Old. And so when Paul says, oh, they're in possession of the covenants. Well, what in the world does that mean? And, and uh, where are you going to find out? You're going to find out in the Old Testament, guys. It is, it is a word that is completely ununderstandable apart from the Old Testament. To become a Christian, when we became a Christian, what we did was enter into the covenants that God made in the Old Testament to Israel. You are a part of the covenant-believing community. You entered into the covenant. Now, I want to try and explain that. What exactly is a covenant? Let me do two things here, guys. And um, again, my, my whole hope is that it will be fairly clear. Guys, we're going to have to come back and look at the term, but when you talk about covenantal theology or covenantalism, you are talking about a view of redemptive history. You're talking about how to understand the history that's found in the Bible. It's, it's a panoramic view of, oh, redemptive history. There are two options that are available to you in understanding Redemptive history. One is called dispensationalism. And very frankly, most of you have imbibed at fountains of dispensationalism. Unfortunately. Um, if you are, if you're carrying with you tonight a Schofield Bible, no, uh, put it in your lap and hide it. Um, Schofield, the Schofield Bible with his notes was the great popularizer of dispensationalism. Now, I'm I'm trying to explain covenantalism, but I think it'll be clear if I can contrast it to dispensationalism. Dispensationalism said that redemptive history was divided up into into dispensations, periods of history. And and guys, I'm not a dispensationalist, and I don't have a a, a Schofield Bible, so I'm not sure I'm going to get all the terms right. That's not my point. but, But redemptive history by a dispensationalist is broken up into, I think it's seven, it may be eight, but I think it's seven. Seven dispensations, seven periods of time. There was the Adamic, there was the Noahic, there was the Mosaic, there was the Davidic, there was the Prophetic, um, one, two, three, four, five, uh, there was the the, the dispensation of Gentiles, which is the one we're in now. That's you. And then there is the kingdom age. Now, that is how dispensationalism takes redemptive history and manages it. They break it up. The pro- that's, not, that's not so bad. The problem is that, at least in the Schofield Bible, dispensationalism will say that let's say you lived in this period of the Mosaic uh, dispensation then the way that people in the Mosaic dispensation were saved is by obeying the Ten Commandments. That these had different terms. Each each dispensation had different terms by which men were delivered and redeemed. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, that, that does major damage to a lot of things, but we don't have time to get into that. Your whole, your whole view of uh, eschatology, your whole view of the sacraments is influenced by your view of redemptive history. Now, this is dispensationalist, or at least very rudimentarily. Now, let me give you another rudimentary ex, uh, exposure to covenantalism. I did this about three or four months ago. Covenantalism says this. Again, you remember my famous acorn? This is an acorn. It's not an apple. It is an acorn. Um, and this acorn, uh, over the millennia, gave birth to a big old oak tree. And, but everything that is crammed into this acorn, no, excuse me, everything that you find in this tree up here is crammed into this acorn back here. That whole thing came right out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, I, if you understand that, you understand a little bit about covenantal theology. The, the acorn, or at least the, oh, by the way, look at your text. It mentions the word Covenants in the plural. You see that? There are only two. There, the one came before Genesis 3.15, which is, which is really not called a covenant, but it's, it's, it's given to you in covenantal language. And I'll show you that in a second. But back here in Genesis 1 and 2, that's his, was the covenant of works. Guys, in Genesis 1 and 2, there was a way to save yourself without a Savior. You didn't know that, didn't you? Because in Genesis 1 and 2, there was no sin. You didn't need a Savior. All you had to do is obey God, don't touch that tree, and everything had been fine. That's the covenant of works they did in Genesis chapter 3. Covenant of works. From that point on, God comes in in mercy and grace and extends the covenant of grace. Its first hint is found in Genesis 3.15. Now, again, the term covenant is is not used until Genesis 6. But the idea is God is going to do something about sin. You remember, um, I will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent will bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. Guys, that's the first hint that there is a grace to come. And it's going to be wrapped up in the seed. Not the seeds. Paul makes that point in Galatians 3. It's not seed. It's seed. It's the seed, which is a, again, a very cryptic statement, but a promise that God is going to do something. The first time you see the the, the word covenant is found in. Actually, I shouldn't do it that way. That's a that's a dotted line, not a. In Genesis six, I think it's eighteen. Now, guys. Okay, we're going to come back to this. What is a covenant? I want to read you something. 
and, and this is, this is not very nice of me. Um, particularly for those of you who have come from similar backgrounds to my own. Guys, my mother, um, a dear saint, um, she was about my age when she died, but, um, she studied her Bible a lot. And one of the, one of the, the, the authors that she consulted on numerous occasions is a guy by the name of William Barclay. <laughs> William Barclay, um, was a, a, quite a good linguist. But he was a horrible theologian. Now, I want to, first of all, his whole view of the scripture, he, he had no view of inspiration. That is, he didn't believe in an inspired Bible. That's one. But I want to read you, quoting him, his definition of a covenant. See, if I really were technologically wizard, I, you know, I'd have all this stuff up here flashing all over the thing. But I don't know how to do that. So I just had to read it. Uh, this is his definition of a covenant. A covenant, listen. A covenant is a relationship entered into between two people. It is a bargain for mutual profit and engagement for mutual friendship. That is exactly what a covenant isn't. It is not that, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, there's my dear mother reading his commentaries to beat the band. And, and that's exactly, listen to this. A covenant is a relationship entered into between two people. It is a bargain for mutual profit and an engagement for mutual friendship. Do you hear that word bargaining in there? There's no bargaining in a covenant, ladies and gentlemen. There's no bargaining. Guys, um, a covenant in the Scriptures, and we're going we're to try to race through and see some of this, but a covenant in the Bible is a sovereign act of God's grace in which He pledges Himself to do something. A covenant in this book is always something that is entirely and solely, only, from God's side of the, the, of the ledger. It is God, for instance, in Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put. That's covenantal language, ladies and gentlemen. God is doing something. He's not bargaining with individuals to come to some kind of mutual agreement. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, you know this. Let's, let's, let's just look. But guys, when, when the, when the Bible is talking about covenants, it's not trying to suggest that there's a lot of them. But what you do find is the covenant of grace being repeated over and over again. And the more that it is, the more that it is repeated, the more disclosure you get, the more facts you get, the more clarity you get, the more information you get. It's not a different covenant. 
It's the same one. It's just being expanded. The information is being broadened. The light is getting brighter. God is just giving more information and more information and more information as He repeats the same covenant. <laughs> Let's get your Bibles, because guys, we gotta, we're gonna try to do this real fast. The first time the word appears is in Genesis 6. Um, but what I'm saying is the first time the word, but Genesis 3.15 is covenantal language. God is doing something and promising that he's going to do something about the sin that has now entered. And he's going to do something by the sending of a seed. Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. Here's where the word appears first. By the way, this is spoken to Noah. And it says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons, etc., etc. But gang, look at the language. I will establish my covenant with you. Is that all right with you? There's no such thing, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a bargain. This is not for mutual edification. God sovereignly initiates and enters into a covenant. And right here, it is Noah. And he says, okay, Noah, uh, um, you need to get your family on that ark because it's through your family that this seed that I promised back here is going to come. So get your little honey on there because, you know, i got to keep you alive because ultimately, from you, Noah, we're going to get this thing. But now Noah's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I mean, he doesn't have much information, no. But he is, he is simply participating and enjoying a covenant arrangement that God sovereignly puts into place with him. Um, how about Genesis chapter 9? Um, same, uh, um, then God said to Noah, verse 8, and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature, yada, 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 yada. And then over in verse, um, 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you. Again, you know, the rainbow thing. Um, and God is saying, this sign, this is one of my pledges that I'm giving to you that I'm never going to do this again. Again, he's not saying to Noah, hey, Noah, what do you think about me flooding the world? You want to do it? Should I do it again? No, there's no bargaining. There's no dialogue. God enters into and says, okay, uh, you're the one, you know, through your family, this thing's going to come. This seed that I promised back here is going to come through you. And by the way, I'm not going to do this again. Here's my pledge. Zip. <clears throat> okay. Um, then we move a little bit down, further down the line in the unfolding of redemptive history. And who shows up in, um, in chapter 12. Oh, it's that Abraham dude. And in um, Abraham, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, um, he says this, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and curse those, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, and you are going to have, all the families in the earth are going to be blessed by you. So, ah, by the way, do you see Abraham dialoguing? 
This is not a dialogue, ladies and gentlemen. I will. I will. I will, says God. And so we get a little bit more information now. Oh, we, every nation in the world is going to be... But the, the biggie, or the biggie in terms of covenantal language, comes in Genesis 15, guys. That's the one you know. Genesis 15 is where, um, you know, the, that smoking pot goes down between the two animals. And guys, there is nothing more glorious than Genesis chapter 15 in that smoking pot thing. It starts at um, um, 17, 15, 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. You know, I hear people get so caught up in the Hebrew word, which is Beirut, which means to cut, and they talk, it's like cutting a covenant. Like, that's a big deal. It, the cutting means nothing, ladies and gentlemen. It is that God is establishing a relationship between Him and guys, I said this in a sermon months ago. But, you know, they take these animals, they split them in half, and then, you know, the smoking pot, which is a figure of God's presence, goes through there. You know what that's saying? God is saying, if I don't keep my word to you, may the thing that happened to these animals happen to me. It's, it, guys, it is a, it is a marvel that God walks through those pieces with a, a piece of self-malediction saying, may this happen to me if I don't keep my word to you. But not only is it amazing that God walks through the pieces, it is also amazing who doesn't walk through the pieces. Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces. Abraham can't walk through there and say, hey, God, you know, if I don't keep my word, um, this may happen to me. Let this happen to me. I'm glad he didn't walk through there, ladies and gentlemen. You've been keeping your word lately? You can't keep your covenant, your, your, your promises to God, but he can keep his to you. And so he walks through there and Abraham doesn't. Then, guys, we move to chapter 17. Um... When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. God, still, do you understand? These are not new covenants. These are repetitions of the same covenant. But what we're finding out is this. God is going to send a seed, and it's going to come through the line of Abraham. And through that line of Abraham, that seed, whatever he looks like or wherever he comes from, I don't know where he's coming from, but he is going to bless the tribes and families of every nation that has ever existed. We're getting more information. It keeps going, guys. Um, I could go on like this all night. Chapter 22, um, uh, verse 16. And by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and you know, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the seashore, yada, yada, yada. But notice again, guys, no hint of bargaining. Would you like me to read this again? A covenant is a relationship entered into between two people. It is a bargain for mutual profit and engagement for mutual friendship. That is so dang distorted. I, I, I just I get outraged that we can get this stuff printed. And there's my little mother sitting on the bed studying her Bible with William Barclay, and he's been telling exactly what it isn't. Come down, Jimmy. 
Um, okay, this covenant, this same covenant, gets repeated to Isaac. Everybody knows Isaac is Abraham's son. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It gets repeated to um, uh, Isaac and Jacob. How do I know that? Well, Exodus chapter 2... This is why I work out, because I have to keep... Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God had made... He had repeated the covenant to Isaac and Jacob. By the way, it's never recorded where God repeated it with Isaac. But it is recorded where He repeated it with Jacob. It's in chapter 35. That is Genesis chapter 35. God comes back. And he says in verse uh, 11 and 12 of Genesis 35, he says, um, And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come out of you, and the king shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. Guys, do you see what's happening? Okay, now this seed that I promised back here, it's coming through Abraham. Oh, by the way, it's coming through Isaac too. And oh, by the way, it's not going through Esau, it's going through Jacob. Why is it going through Jacob? Because God established it. And then do you notice there's the addition of the land? Not only is the seed coming through your line, and not only are you going to bless and you're going to have all these descendants, but there's a land. Again, more information. We're all the way up here to 35. And we're getting more information. I've got to hurry, guys. Um... um Uh, okay, it gets repeated in, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This time it's spoken to Moses. And he says, um, this is chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where they went. Uh, Go and gather the elders. The, the, God of, the, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, etc., etc., etc. So he comes, by the way, he doesn't use the word covenant, but he says, by the way, you know that thing that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know that thing? Well, I hadn't forgotten it. And I'm going to bring you people out of Egypt, and I'm going to give you that land. You remember that land I promised to your grandfather? I'm going to give you the land. It's all yours. And it's all yours because I gave it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Don't you dare ever find yourself politically against Israel and the claim on that land. Sorry. God gave it to His covenant people. Oh, it, it, it goes on. Um, chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. Uh, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people. Now look at verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of these, and I will deliver you from this slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great accident, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I'm going to wrench you out of Egypt. And I'm going, to, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to save you. I'm going, to, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you that I have with nobody else. Just more information. And now, 
the, the thing is, oh, the, the seed is coming through Abraham, oh, Noah, and then Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And now it's Moses. Oh, so it's kind of, you know, we get more people in the world. So now, oh, the, the, the line is being steered out of Moses. Okay, one more. Um, it's made one more time. Oh, I, I can't get to that. i got to wait. Guys, we're, we're at Exodus chapter 6. Then, what happens in chapter 20 of Exodus? We get the Ten Commandments. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where Judaism went astray. Because, remember this dispensationalism stuff I told you? This is the mistake of Judaism. Oh, the Ten Commandments are the way by which we are to be made right with the living Jehovah. No, ladies and gentlemen. As a result of entering into this covenant arrangement that God has sovereignly established with me, there are obligations. Called the Ten Commandments. But I don't observe the obligation so that I can enter the covenant. I've already entered the covenant. But as a result of him establishing this relationship with me, he says, okay, as a part of my covenant people, this is how I want you to live. Guys, it was never, ever, ever, ever intended to be anything other than a lifestyle that would characterize God's people. It was never intended for anyone at any time, on any occasion, under any circumstance to redeem anybody. It was just now God in Exodus chapter 20 is giving us the stipulations of uh, the, the obligations of covenant people to their covenant-making God. That's all it was. It was all it ever was, ladies and gentlemen. It's all it's ever been. It's, the Ten Commandments have never been anything other than that. In fact, it starts, the, pre, the, the preamble of the Ten Commandments says, For I am the Lord your God. Okay, that's settled. Now go out and live like this. But not, if you'd like for me to be the Lord your God, you've got to live like this. Don't you see that? And Judaism, for how many years? 4,000? has been stuck in that error. A misunderstanding of the nature of redemptive history. By the way, one more time, and I'm almost done. Second um, Samuel. Oh, we got, we got, we got to finish this, guys. Second Samuel, um, chapter 7. Now, um, one of the prophets comes and speaks and says, beginning at verse 8, 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my... And I have been with you wherever you... And I will make up for you a great name, like the name of the great ones. And I... Read on down, verse 13. Uh, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You think he's talking about Solomon? No. It's just more information. Oh, it's coming through Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Oh, the seed is going to come through a Davidic line. 
It's going to come through David. How about that? It's not a new covenant. It's just a repetition of the, of the first one with more information being added over the unfolding of redemptive history. All right, guys. In this, this ought to make us stand up and shout. Go to the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. And here it is again. Luke chapter 1. Uh, two places I want you to see it. Verse 30. Uh, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. That's what we just read. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, of his kingdom there will be no end. Hey, Mary. You know that thing, that seed that I promised over here in Genesis 3? He's arrived! And he arrived in your womb. Look at still, uh, still chapter 1, verse 68. This is the father of Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and his father Zechariah... This is, this is um, John the Baptist's father. And he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He's singing this, this hymn of praise. Look over at verse 72. To show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Oh my goodness! The King has showed up! His promises are fulfilled. The ones that He made to our fathers, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David... Gospel of Luke. In chapter 22, and Jesus sits with the twelve and He says, and this is the new covenant in my blood. The covenant. Ratified. The spilling of blood. His. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is covenantal theology. Everything that you see in an offer of free grace to sinful men has been promised. within minutes of the entrance of sin in Genesis 3. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. 
There ain't no bargaining. And I, for one, am extraordinarily happy that there isn't. God kept his promises to save somebody as wicked as I. Because it's a covenant-keeping God. Our Father, I do pray that your people might be able to see the wonder and the beauty and the, and the certitude and the constancy of what you have done to effect salvation for a people as wicked as we are. Oh God, what more is there to say then we bless you and praise you and thank you that you have seen fit to draw us irresistibly by your Holy Spirit into this covenant family. In our commitment, O oh God, in response and in light of your faithfulness is to obey you. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name.